we can talk about personality disorders and trauma if that's interesting. I think it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, that's really a fascinating suggestion that something that um, could be treated or arguably is untreatable by psychology and psychotherapy is um, something that can submit to the more subtle intervention um, of acupuncture, of the body work that we're doing. Um, so tell me tell me more about your experience working with those Personality sure. disorders. I will say I don't. I don't. I don't know that I've worked with um, people who are um, diagnosed with personality disorders per se, but I, I do really um, enjoy um, and find very rewarding um, working with, with with people who have deep trauma. because yeah. I, I think acupuncture is such a, a promising modality for that because it is something that. You know, nobody, nobody else can touch your psyche for you. You know, nobody else right. can uh, tell you what to do with trauma or, um, uh, you know, like the best we could do is it's something like, you know, like a cognitive therapist telling you, you know, maybe maybe more productive ways of, 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 of dealing with those thoughts or something like that. So I think this is a place where Chinese medicine is very well positioned to, to already from the beginning to say that um, all healing comes from within. So we're, we're not going to try to, you know, cure your trauma. We're not going to try to cure your, your personality disorder. But we do have a lot of ways of thinking about how, um, how we can help you engage with it differently. Um, uh, and, and I do think that's, um, that's been very powerful for the people I've worked with like that, of, of being able to, because, you know, it does immediate, it can immediately um, calm some of the overwhelming aspects of it and, and then can, can get into the, the possibility that things could change. So earlier, before we were on camera, we were talking about trauma and you described it as um, working with trauma is a lot like doing alchemy. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me more. About yeah. That. No, thank you for that. That's actually in the back of my mind of because um, that's the other thing is is um, kind of on the on the sidelines of, of Chinese medicine throughout its history, there there were the influence uh, of, of the alchemists, um, which I always like to immediately um, disclaim that that what most of us think of as alchemy is really you know just kind of what was uh, shouted out loud in, in in Europe of like these these people who were trying to get rich fast, you know, just yeah. trying to take lead and turn it into gold. But no, really, alchemy came from China, and um, and the metaphor of transforming you know, lead or base metals in general into gold is is the the lead or the base material is like is is the physical body, is kind of all the, you know, all the crud and the crap in our lives, in ourselves, you know, maybe that we uh, inherited from our bloodline or, you know, traumas or, or disappointments that we had um, up to this point in our lives. And, and what do you do with that? You know, do you just have to manage it or, you know, put it in, in a little box somewhere so it doesn't keep on 
uh, harassing you so you can get on with your life. Well, the idea of alchemy is that, well, just maybe there's a way to, to, to truly transform that. So, so even more than transform, we're going to transmute it. We're going to take this thing and completely uh, change its nature so that now it's gold, it's spirit. It's the thing that um, instead of the trauma being what uh, brings me down in life, it's what gave me the opportunity to, to, to truly see who I am, to truly get that glimpse, um, to, to heal and, and, and have a fuller understanding of myself and the world. Right. So that by the end of the process, people... They find a kind of gratitude, perhaps, mm-hmm. for their trauma, right? As being like an integral part of who they are. Yeah, and, and obviously that's 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 a long long road to that point. I mean, it can be kind of nice from the beginning to say that that's uh, a, a, a possibility. Um, but of course, you know, when we're when we're acutely feeling that trauma, that that can be very far away. But yes, generally, on down the line, it's something that we can look back and seeing, um, you know. Well, yeah. Without this, I wouldn't be who I am today, and, and I'm you know, very happy to be who I am today. So that that trauma is actually something that becomes very nourishing. Yeah. So um, kind of in the same vein as what I was asking about earlier, uh, with people coming back and their pulse are the same. You know? Yeah. Um, one question that's always bothering me as a practitioner is, like, how come healing takes so long? You know, for those that don't know acupuncture it's an incredible medicine you usually leave the office feeling a whole lot better but to get full resolution from say deep emotional trauma uh deep physical trauma it can be a very long process sometimes depending on how long ago it was depending on how severe the trauma was and depending on other health factors um, and your life circumstances and you know how supportive they are for example um so like why does healing take so long? Yeah, I think to a certain extent it it should take a long time because, like, if you're if you're truly working at that level of identity, um, w- working at that that level of um, like we like we call it the, the UN level, the you know the, the um, that, that that basic original level, then. Kind of the genetic level, you Sure, say. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, then I like to think of it as it's like, it's like moving a boulder. Right. And so if you move that thing really fast, it's going to be out of your control. Right. Whereas if you're moving slowly, then you can, you can direct where you want it to go. Um, because, you know, really, I mean, bottom line, the other way of looking at the pericardium is the pericardium is what keeps your sanity. Right. And so if you change faster than you can integrate it's it's going to make you feel crazy um so i think if, if any for anybody who wants to speed up um healing i think the the um the, the focus should be on um how comfortable do i feel with change how comfortable do i feel if um if if, if i identify something that's actually making me unhappy, making me feel sick. How comfortable do I feel with being able to let go of that if that means that I can be happier? I think, I think the real human truth is actually most of us, that, that's a lot harder than it sounds like it would be. Because yeah. they do, like going back to the dark, it does become like this dark that's... Um, I always remember um, Carl Jung um, told a story um, that I think is paradigmatic of this um, 
of uh, I think a, a, I'm going to say a middle aged man, um, and he'd been mentally ill for for I'm going to say 20 years or something like that, and and Jung was starting to realize what the what the crux of the of the mental illness was. Like it was it was something. To, to realize and to be able to change. Mm-hmm. And as, as Jung was becoming uh, aware of it, uh, he noticed that the, the client, the patient, was becoming aware of it too. And, and if I'm remembering right, I think the patient actually quit coming. And, and it came out um, enough that the patient basically said something like, well, no, I can't admit that. I can't change this. I can't really come to terms with this. Because if that's the case, if that's true, then that would mean that I've wasted 20 years of my life. Yeah. And the, the tragedy of it, the very human tragedy is, you know, to, to, for all Jung knew, wasted at least 20 more years, if not the rest of his life, uh, still not being able to change. Because it, it's, um, it's this thing we call life takes courage, an incredible amount of courage for, for, for many of us. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of the most important uh, roles of us as, as practitioners to, to be able to to bring some support in that process. Yeah, definitely. I when I'm talking about like the 20 years, like, yeah. that that echoes some like the patients that I have to heal the fastest. You know, they're the ones that are in their young 20s. Like they don't know anything about the world. If you suggest something's different than their paradigm, they're you know. Yeah. they'll go along with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the patients that, you know, they come in when they're in their 80s and they yeah. had a whole life and, you know, maybe 60 years of that they spent thinking a certain way, um, you know, it's it's very hard to, like, get rid of that 60 yeah. years of life, you know, love, hardship, you know, all of that. Um, but I did want to focus on, on one thing that you said about the pericardium, like kind of guarding our sanity and our yeah, particularly yeah. in the realm of trauma. Yeah. Um, one thing that people are always interested in, you know, they're always asking me about is uh, psychedelic intervention, sure. particularly ketamine um, for trauma. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. mushrooms are, uh, you know, psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms are coming to the forefront as um, they've been legalized at least recreationally, or at least medically, perhaps recreationally in some states, and uh, everyone is, uh, including Dr. Bronner's soap, is talking about them as a solution yeah. for yeah. for deep-lying trauma. But that seems to be kind of the opposite of what you were describing there, where, like, the maintain that's, you know, just kind of pushing the boulder and... Right. Um, right. seeing where it goes, completely losing the sanity in order to gain it. Um, I'm right. wondering if you have any thoughts or yeah. any experience with, um, you know, with working with these substances with patients. Sure. Um, I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been tuned into the research, like, coming out of Johns Hopkins. I yeah. know they're, they're, they're having um, incredible results. I do think that there's, there's a huge... Um, potential for that in the field of psychology, um, you know, just things like like people who are, have you know, terminal illness diagnoses, and and I think like the numbers of things like you know one 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 treatment, and and they're no longer having that overwhelming fear of death because they they feel like they've connected into something that 
that um, can stabilize that for them. So I think that's fascinating. Um, I always think it's interesting, though, that that's uh, very contrary to Chinese medicine, as far as I know of. Like there, there are very few uh, psychedelic, uh, you know, herbs with psychedelic properties, and and if they are, it's usually the, the psychedelic properties don't kick in until you know, way over the, the dosage levels that we usually use them um, with. Um, so I think that's that's interesting. I think that their their tendency, they being um, the Chinese medicine doctors, and especially I think the Taoists who are doing a, a lot of uh, influence here, is 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 yeah that 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 with a psychedelic, it is more likely to be the boulder that gets away from you. With, 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 I think, you know, the interesting, as, as little as I have looked into Johns Hopkins, I know that they're saying things like they're having uh, really low side effects. You know, very, very few people who have um, uh, a negative experience. But um, I like to tell people, in, in my experience, all you need is all you need is flowers. You know, flowers actually have, I don't know if we'd call them uh, psychoactive properties, but, uh, you know, you can go out... Into your um, into your yard or your garden, and you know there, there are going to be plenty of flowers there that will uh, you know you just make a make a little tea from them. And I don't even mean like a um, a hot tea. You know, just put them in a in a jar with some water. You know, just pick a pick a violet, pick a dandelion, or you know pick you know you probably want to check you know make sure it's not a, a toxic flower. But otherwise, just do that. Put it in the in the sun for for the rest of the day and drink that. And um, you know, I can pretty much guarantee. Uh, you can find that it would be easier to, to let go of that clamping down aspect of the pericardium, the clamping down of um, uh, that sense of identity. I don't know, does that get at your, your question? It does. Um, it's, it, it does point to a bit of a, a disconnect that we often have as practitioners of a gentle medicine. Yeah. Um, where... I, I guess I just wonder if it's an irresolvable difference, you know, that um, when people come to us and they want pain relief and, um, you know, they say, well, I, I was on all this oxycodone and all this cannabis and, yeah. you know, I want to get off of it, but I want to do it now. And, you know, we, we don't have even Yan Hu Suo, which is like, in, right. you know, it's in the poppy family. It's like one of the strong pain relief herbs. Like, it's it's doesn't. It doesn't touch pain in the way that like right. morphine does, right. you know. Right. So, uh, I wonder if there's no way that we can come to a consensus, and we just have to agree to disagree about yeah. strength of therapy. Maybe. I mean, just kind of my personal uh, where I fall on this is um, that I'm actually not interested in, in using those kinds of tools. I think I think they're too powerful. Yeah. For the way I, I want to do it, uh, and, and then that kind of gets into a conversation about um, how I see pain. I mean, I think uh, you know, I, I always like to tell my clients that uh, I think actually acupuncture should be just a little bit painful. It's it's it, and, and, and this, I use this as a, a way to to describe the difference between pain and suffering. I mean, like what you know, the playfully way uh, I usually like to say, you know, what kind of a people would come up with a medicine where they're going to stick you all over with needles? I think their insight is that this is a way of um, remembering and even uh, 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 relearning to a certain extent what to do with pain. You know, the, the, the kind of silly example I always give is, uh, 
you know, if I put my hand on a hot stove, I don't want that to hurt, you know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to, you know, take morphine or put in a nerve block so I can just sit there and have my hand sizzling on the, sto- uh, on the stove. That's great. But, but arguably, isn't that what I'm doing if I've got a hurt knee and it hurts every time I walk, so I take a painkiller so that then I can just grind away at it all day and not even feel that response anymore. Right. I mean, and, and I want to say clearly, I mean, the, the, the reason we do this is this is the really hard thing about suffering is, uh, I like to say suffering is when the pain doesn't make sense anymore. Like right. the, the pain of putting my hand on my stove. I mean, of course I know what to do, but, you know, just imagine my pain, if my hand's uh, burning all the time. I'm like, you know, my goodness, what am I doing wrong? I don't know. I need to just shut this up and give me the pain medication. But I think this is one of the, um, um, you know, again, one of the big callings of the acupuncturist is can we help, help a person bring that suffering back to pain? Back to, to a feedback system that's going to help you know what to do about it. Um, yeah, and I think, and I think the first step usually here. Here's another metaphor I like to use with it: is it's kind of like uh, suffering is, is like children who need something. You know, like if they, uh, you know, if they run up to you and they 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 want something, and you don't understand them. They're not going to say, um, you know, my father, I'm, I'm sorry you didn't understand. Let me rephrase that for you. You know, no, they're just going to yell even louder. and They're going to be even more incoherent. Right. But, you know, we, you know, we don't want to just yell at our kids and, and shut them up in a certain way. Or give them morphine. Right. Well, exactly. In a certain way. That's, that's, like, that's like the morphine. I think what, you know, we want to do is, okay, let me just calm you down first. Hold on. You don't have to tell me right away. Let's get to a point where we can understand each other. Then you can try again. You know that's that's my goal right. with a body when when it's in pain is can we calm it down like a child uh, so that it can start making sense. That's wonderful. Um, so just hopping back briefly to psychedelics, um, what what do you think about people having positive experiences with them? Like, what do you think about people like it making a, a really big difference for their trauma? Yeah. Like, is that um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Of course. Um, um, yeah, I think it's a, a similar kind of thing. Of again, what? Uh, I mean, to me, the modality doesn't really matter. What's it take to to shift how I'm how I'm seeing myself, how I'm seeing my my condition, so that it's again no longer suffering. So it's no longer a dart in me. That it's something I can actually uh, feel like I can manage. Feel like it's part of my life again. Um, so tell me, uh, obviously you both have a St. John's education, um, which St. John's College is a great books college, it's a bachelor's program, it's everybody reads all the same books, we go through Plato, Aristotle, the Bible, Descartes, all the way up to, um, the modern age, and, um, it's really, really focused on the West. Um, so tell me... How does this like deep immersion into the history of Western thought really add, in a dialectical format where we ask questions, we um, all of our classes are discussion based? Uh, how does that influence the way that you practice? So much, um, and St. John's was a big part of why I got into Chinese medicine. Actually, uh, mm-hmm. I think before St. John's, uh, I already knew that I was interested in medicine. I knew I wanted to be 
and, and field where I was um, working with people that I thought I was going to be more of a um, more of an MD or something like that. And it was really and, and especially particularly the lab program. I think I think we did yeah. labs so well, uh, and, and really I think that the that 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 China, especially Chinese medicine, has so much to to offer the the Western tradition of, of, of thinking. Um, as a, a, I saw it as like kind of a, a, a next step. I mean, and, and right. especially in, in lab, I, I felt like um, so as we, especially as we got into quantum mechanics, of course. But even as we were going along, it, it, it felt like we we kept on getting further and further away from like the kind of original aims, or as I see the original aims of the of the beginners of the scientific revolution. Like they seemed right. like they really wanted. To, to know nature, you know, Galileo saying that he wanted to, to read read the, the book of nature, you know, in, in the language of mathematics, albeit, but um, still, he wanted to, to really understand it, whereas I think as we got further and further along, it seemed like it was, um, you know, with the Cartesians, you know, who didn't, who had a very different sense of what it meant to know uh, nature, um, for example, um, whereas I think the, the thinking behind Chinese medicine, I find, is is a, a really powerful way. Uh, it's almost like uh, I brought up Jung earlier. Um, it's almost like Western thinking has really gone in the direction of, of thinking in terms of Jung's uh, four cardinal um, psychological functions. Uh, we got kind of one sided in that way. You know, came up with all the problems uh, that that Kant and Hegel tried to deal with in that. Um, whereas I think. There's a way in which um, Chinese thinking, Chinese uh, science, whatever we want to call it, always stayed kind of miraculously to me tied into its more primal roots. Like it didn't make that that differentiation as much between thinking and feeling. Right. Yeah, and and yet they're extremely sophisticated. You know, they have the Imperial uh, Academy of, of, of Medicine for however many hundreds of years, where they were, you know, rigorously testing everything and really uh, categorizing and systematizing things. And yet they were still, um, you know, really kind of tied into nonlinear thinking in, in an amazing way. So, um, just to get back to your question. Um, it's um, it's really been a fulfillment for me, right? Yeah, and I, and also jumping around a little bit, but I also feel I felt like such a kinship to go from from reading Plato to then reading some of the the oldest texts, like like Absolutely. reading the, the Su Win, like you know the um, it's the same idea. It's the same idea that uh, you know we're not going to just lay this out in a in a treatise. We're going to lay this out in a way that's going to guide you as you learn, as you understand more, as you open up your thinking more, then you're going to understand more. So I felt like Socrates had already prepared me for it. Right. Yeah, and even, you know, it's uh, it, both Plato and the Suen, obviously they're written in a, in a dialogue format, which is a format that you know, has kind of died out. Yeah. Um, but I, see, I do see it making a resurgence, you know, in the form of right. interviews like this, in the form of, um, you know, a lot of our media now that we're taking in is less of a treatise, and I think in many ways we're kind of becoming more Chinese, as yeah. you mentioned that, that, that there is a way that um, the ancient Chinese thought is kind of the fruition of what I see is ultimately, um, you know, the, the fall of Western thought, like that 
in senior year, for example, you know, you do come to you do come to Heidegger, and you kind of come to this this dead end, you know, in yeah. the forties where uh, philosophy really fragments, and you know, whereas Aristotle was very much concerned with, you know, how do I know whether something will go up or down? You know, yeah, yeah. Heidegger has tapped into just a complete, a completely different goal set. You know, yeah, yeah. So I do think that, like you were saying, it is it is very much a completion. Yeah.